welcome those who are joining us online. God bless you. Thank you for being there. I saw quite a few people from outside the country before I came up here. The Lord bless you. Those of you who are in Nigeria, I want to pray that the peace of God, thank you very much. The peace of God will reign supreme in that nation. The Lord will root out tyranny and injustice from the affairs of that great country. In the name of Jesus. This is the dawn of a new day. It's a dawn of a new day for that country. Things will never remain the same again. For those who have access to the young people, just keep advising them to be safe. And no one, every time they are doing the hooliganism and burning down public property, we are losing out and cheating ourselves. So it's not about destruction of properties. I just felt I should say that right now. It is about we get the change that the nation truly deserves. And it will come in Jesus' name. I want to beg the international world, not because I'm a Nigerian, but because Nigeria is very key to the success of the world economy and the world system generally. I want to appeal to everybody to please pray for that nation and do everything you can to support the move that is currently on to demand for better governance. Please help us. Please help us. Because we need your help. We don't want to be violent or just be unruly, but we just need a change. And the Lord himself will do it in Jesus' name. The devil knows that if Nigeria walks, Africa will walk. <laughs> and if Africa walks, the world will be a different place. He knows it in everything. That is why he's so much after that country. But God will give us victory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. So thank you, and thank you to everyone who is in the hall today. God bless you. We have a family service today, so all the kids are also up here. Help them through the service as um, they might need to be helped from time to time. So let's do that together. And um, God bless you. Thank you to everyone who has come today. And I want to say this is the very final session of our series on embracing ministry gifts for restful increase. Let's give the Lord a big hand. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. I have had friends who have texted me from within the country and outside that they have learned a lot and they have been following on social media and it has been a blessing to them. I have said in the course of the series at a point that we are going to, I'm going to trust God when he gives the go-ahead to use this particular series to do ministerial training for as many people that really, really want to go into ministry and believe that God is calling them, especially to the pulpit ministry. But as God opens up that time, I will let you know, and we would also involve a few other people that God would lay on our hearts to do. So let's be praying for that. But today we are going to end it on the leadership ministry. You can see our banner, I believe. And um, we've been using that for the last eight weeks. Leadership is one of those we call the operational gifts. When we started, we started with the fivefold. The Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 ministries. The fivefold, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. And then we said those are, according to 1 Corinthians 12, from verse 4 to 6, 
The Bible says that there are some of those diversities of gifts. We say there are manifestations of the Spirit. And then there are diversities of ministries. We say they are the fivefold ministry. Then there are several other ministries the Bible calls the diversities of operations in verse 6 of that verse, of that chapter. And leadership is one of them. Two weeks ago, we looked at the table ministry. And then last week, Pastor Lola dealt with the topic of the benevolent ministry very powerfully. It has been trending very well on social media. A lot of people, too, have commented on that uh, aspect. And we're grateful to God for how that word was delivered last week. And I want to also pray that God will make us see where we fit in every one of these ministries, even as we come through this series in Jesus' name. The leadership ministry is a very important ministry. We've left it to the last because it is the ministry that, is, that needs to be demonstrated in order to ensure that work is actually being done. No matter how apostolic a person is, no matter how prophetic a person is, no matter how good a person can pastor and teach, the leadership ministry is what God releases to operationalize everything that he has ordained to make happen in the course of the work of the Great Commission. And so I want to encourage us to please focus today on this very important gift of ministry. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, from verse 4, let's take that bit. He said, for as we are many members in one body, but not all members, but all the members, sorry, do not have the same function. We have been reading this over and over and over the last few weeks. Because it's important. Your function is not my function. My function is not yours. But every one of us is called to have a function. We have many members. Everyone members one of another and we must have a function. And if we skip to verse 8, he starts to talk about some of the functions. He said, he who exhorts, he should do it in exhortation. He who gives, like we looked at last week, should give with what? Liberality. He should give with liberality. He said, he who leads, read that with me, third, third line. He who leads with diligence. Leadership must be done with diligence. He said, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Leadership must be done with diligence. The word diligence means a careful and persistent work effort. A careful and persistent work or effort. You have to be careful about it. Not carefree or careless. Leadership. One of the reasons why we have nations failing today and systems failing today is because we have careless leadership. We have carefree leadership. Leadership must be done with diligence. And in the body of Christ, we must understand that it is a serious responsibility. Every form of leadership God puts us into is a serious form of responsibility. God relies on leaders God who is sovereign, God who is the almighty, God who can do anything, refuses to do certain things without leadership. It's a mystery. So we must all come to the place where we understand. Leadership, I define it as 
a, continue, a, a coordinated goal-oriented action. It is my own definition and it's twisting my tongue. <laughs> a coordinated goal-oriented action. Because I don't want you to think leadership is just all about standing in front of people like this or in a classroom or in a, an office, which it all is. But any action that you have a goal to, any, any action that is coordinating you towards achieving a goal is leadership. And I'm going to explain why I put it in that way because you, you, it starts with you yourself leading yourself under the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. So that has nobody else involved. But you must understand that even God expects you to be able to lead yourself before you can talk about leading others. So there are two categories of leadership. The first one is the leadership of oneself as, as helped by the Holy Spirit. Leadership of oneself as helped by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the spirit of man is a candle of the Lord and is a lamp of the Lord. And it is so powerful we must understand and come to the place where God looks at your spirit and desires to have a relationship with your spirit so that he can lead you. We all know that man is a spirit who has a soul and he lives in a body. But you see, the soul and the body must be led by the spirit of man. That is why when the spirit of man is not yet regenerated, his soul can be, can be chaotic. His soul can be vile. His soul can be wild. Because it takes a leading of the spirit of man to tell the soul what to do. Look at what the psalmist said in Psalm 43, verse 5. Let's read together Psalm 43, verse 5, everybody together. Oh, my soul, why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Hope in God. Now look at this. A person is talking to himself. You see, if he was saying, why is your soul cast down, my brother? Then we will say that, you know, he's talking to another person. But when you are talking to yourself and you are talking to your soul, who is talking to the soul? The spirit. The spirit. The spirit of David said, why are you cast down, O my soul? So you and I have the ability to lead our soul. When you say, ah, this feeling is overwhelming and I cannot, I cannot take it anymore. I feel so, so emotionally disturbed. You are letting your soul take control. You tell your soul, soul, why are you cast down and why are you disquieted within me? That's what the, that's what the psalmist said. He said, hope in God. So you, my soul, be transformed. You, my soul, be hopeful in God. Don't remain in the fleshly lust and feelings that you have. Because you see, the soul is in between. I think you have remembered, you will remember my illustration. The soul sits in between the flesh and the spirit. The soul is ready to dilly-dally and have his romance with whoever is leading. If it is the flesh, the soul will go there. If the flesh says, give me now, I want this now, enjoy this now, sin now, do this, the soul will just naturally follow if the spirit man is quiet. 
But if the spirit man is led of God, like we can see in some in Romans chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, if the spirit man is led of God, then the spirit, the soul is prevented from death. Look at what the Bible says. He said, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. That is to say, the soul that continues to live by the flesh will just die. The Bible says, the soul that sins, that's the one that shall die. So the soul that is not allowing the spirit to lead it is heading itself for destruction. He said, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, now the spirit there is a capital S, talking about the Holy Spirit, who leads our small s spirit. He said, if by that Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. Hallelujah. Let's shout verse 14 together. We all know it, but let's read it together. Verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Leadership by the Spirit of God is what ratifies our sonship. You and I are not a son of God because we say Jesus is Lord only. Our sonship is ratified because we submit ourselves continuously to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We are born again. We are children of God. But the privileges of sonship, as it comes to those who are heirs of salvation, comes readily to those who are led, as many that are led by the Spirit of God. This is why we must understand the importance of allowing ourselves to be led by the Spirit. Now, what does all this mean? You see, until you come to a place whereby your life is totally yielded to the Holy Spirit of God, and, and you are allowing him to lead you on a daily basis and on a continuous basis, you will find yourself struggling with the things of this world like normal people. Those who are led by the Spirit of God live in a realm that is not humanly. It is living, like I always say, supernaturally, naturally. You think differently. He affects your thought life. He affects your speech. He affects the way you imagine things. He affects your conduct. It gives you, he gives you peace when there is turmoil. It makes you see things from a realm that is above. The Bible says he who has come from above is what? Above all. The spirit of God gives you the wisdom that comes from above, which is above all. It is so important because, you see, many of us think of leadership, which is the second category of leading others. We'll talk about it. But the reality is that the first basic leadership that you need in life is the leading of yourself by the Holy Spirit. If you are going to be successful in this life, you see, you came into this world you came alone, even if you were two or three in the womb when you were born. When you came out, not two of you came out. Praise the Lord. Even when they brought you out, they, if they did this years for your mom, they, they, they brought you out yourself. Praise the Lord. And the day you will leave this earth, your soul by itself will go. Hallelujah. The soul comes from him and the soul will go to him. Now I want to quickly say this here. Many times, a lot of people say that, how do Christians keep saying that unless you are a child of God, you cannot be successful? That how about these people who, in fact, there are people who say openly that they are enemies of God. And yet, in the eyes of the world, they are successful. 
And I say to people that it depends on what you call success. The Bible makes us to understand that there is success and there is what? Good success. That is the one that God told Joshua. That if he is a follower of the way he is leading to him, I'm paraphrasing Joshua 1.8. He said you, he will make his way prosperous and he will have good success. So believers must not join those people who say that after all there are people who don't pray, who hate God and, this, and they are prospering. They should read. Anybody that comes to you like that, give them Mark 8.36. Mark 8.36 says, for what shall it profit a man? Of course, a woman, if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul. You can have the billions of this earth. If you are not born again, if you have no hope of life after now, it is a wasted life. And I know this is not a popular thing in our day and age, but this is the reality. For those of us who believe in the word of God, this is the standard. So every one of us must understand that success should not be measured by how much of things we can do without God and still show something. But how many things we can do through God, with God, and yet leave this earth and end up with God. That is the real success. If you cannot guarantee what happens to you after now, my friend, whatever you are, how much, however you have in this life as an influence or wealth is nothing because it is not profitable to gain the whole world and lose your soul. So everyone must truly be seeking to be led of God. 1 Corinthians 2.11, he said, For what man knows the things of a man except his spirit? Except his spirit which is in him. So no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. No one knows the things that God has ordained for this life except the spirit of God. This is why everyone must continue to surrender themselves to the spirit of God so that he can continue to lead us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then my, my main emphasis also is on leading others. The second group, leading others. So the first one is leading yourself under the Holy Spirit, which is an, an exclusive preserve of those who are born again. Nobody is led of the Spirit and is a true son of God unless you are born again. Then the second one is leading of others. This includes leading people in your family, leading people in your church, in your groups, Leading people in other settings, in school, at school, at work, or in our neighborhood. Wherever we find ourselves with others and God has put on us the responsibility of leadership, what we need to understand is that that is a calling and a gift that God has given to us. Our main focus is within the church, okay? But we must understand that it applies everywhere that God puts us. As children of God, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There is a responsibility on leadership. In the family, God puts a husband, a father, um, a wife, and a mother to lead a family, to lead a, a set of children in that nuclear family. Now, everybody has their role. Everybody has their role. Every father must take on the responsibility of priesthood in their family. Every father must take on the responsibility of the prophetic in their family. And every father must take up the responsibility of the authority under God in their family. Families where fathers have, have, have had to abdicate that duty to their wives, in many cases have had a lot of chaotic 
uh, outcomes. Not because women are less powerful. Far from it. In fact, women are more powerful than we can imagine. But there is a role for everybody. God has put in men the ability to envision and be strong and be forthright and be it under God, under God, be people who are willing to do the will of God in a place whereby their families can embrace the truths of the things of God. It is part of the DNA of men, as many that are born again. But you see, we must understand that the woman who has been called to be a help meet to the man also has a duty. The wife has a duty and the mother has a duty to lead children in a certain way that the man cannot. And this is why we need to understand where these leadership roles start and end and how we need to complement each other in our families. Many families are broken down today because we are missing these points. It is not a competition. I don't compete with my wife. She doesn't compete with me. I do my job. She does her job. And together we do our jobs because this is how a family should be. And I am saying this very carefully because I know that the, the modern family as it is called today has meant many things to many people. But God's original intention is that men take responsibility under God. That's why he said, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then he said, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church, even as he gave himself for it. So there are leadership roles there. And we must understand them and we must research and develop ourselves in them so that we can be effective about them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you see a set of children in any family doing well, working together, cooperating, praise their mom. I can tell you in many cases, it is the work of the mother. The Bible says, can a mother forget her suckling child? It didn't talk about that to a father because a father doesn't suckle and he doesn't have anything to suckle. <laughs> One of my children tried it with me when they were young. He, he was looking, I don't know what got into him. He was just about a year old, but he was still suckling that time. Maybe I should have said they so that they don't know who, whether it's the boy or girl. Anyway, and then one day the person just came to me on the bed. I don't know what got into him. I was lying down and he just opened my shirt like that and he put his mouth on my chest. I looked at him and said, what's this young man doing? Then when he, he, he used his hand to do like that, he saw that it was flat. He said, ah. Then he looked at my face. He looked there again, looked at my face. He's like, why are you so useless? Well, what, nothing, <laughs> nothing to suck here. Because <laughs> that's not my duty. I was just lying down there looking at the drama. <laughs> so he just, he just closed it and, and went away that this is not a serious thing. <laughs> because he's used to touching the other one, putting his mouth and, and drinking something. So one day, some idea came to him that this one too should have something to <laughs> This one that is always lying now. He should have something to offer. That's not my calling. <laughs> Hallelujah. That was many, many years ago. But the reality is that that's not my job. But you see, that, that opportunity to give circle to a child gives a unique bonding that is indescribable. 
And this is why a mother must understand that you need to take time to pray for your children. You need to take time to speak into the lives of your children because that helps you to not only leverage that natural bonding, but to also transmit into them the spiritual virtues that God can transmit through your deep biological links with them. They were in your womb. They were part of your body. They are deep mysteries that is a responsibility that you must tap into in leading them. Hallelujah. And a father must understand that the anointing to lead is also there. So let your light keep shining before men. I want to quickly talk about five essential elements of diligent leadership. Whatever leadership role you are playing. If you want to be effective as a leader in your home, a leader in your community, a leader in the church, you must be a person who embraces these five qualities. The first thing is to realize that leadership is about servanthood. Say leadership is about servanthood. John chapter 13, Jesus demonstrated for, that, for us. He said, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. I am your teacher. I am your Lord. I am your master. That's what the word Lord means. I'm your leader. He said, but let your light so shine. Sorry. He said, if I then call you Lord, verse 14, if I then call you Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also do what? ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, for I have given you an example. Verse 15, I have given you as an example that you should do as I have done to you. I've given you an example. You go and do as I've done. What was Jesus teaching? Look at the story. We know the story, John chapter 13. Jesus is about to go and then he called his disciples. They were all gathered there. He said, I want to teach you something today. He took off his robe. Somebody say he took off his royalty. Say he took off his title. Hallelujah. He took off everything that should represent his royalty, his leadership. He took it and put it aside and demonstrated something to say. This is what the work is really all about. I wear this robe. I have these things on. I'm known as your Lord and Master. You call me so. That is right. He said, but I wash your feet. Then he guarded himself, the Bible says, and he went down. And he began to wash their feet. Now, this is very significant because it shows that leadership is all about humility. It's about willingness to serve. It's about willingness to touch and clean the feet of those that you lead. You see, the feet, in the body of Christ, we must understand the significance of the feet. I don't have enough time this morning, but the feet has so many significant things in the Bible. For example... Moses was stood before a burning bush in, uh, in, in Exodus chapter 3. And the Bible says at a point, God said to him, take off your shoes for the place where you stand is holy ground. And that was the first thing God said to Moses to commission him. And as soon as Moses took off his shoes, his own bare feet now connected to the holy ground. It's a big mystery. Because we must understand that God looks at our feet. When Paul was going to talk about the weapons of our warfare, like the children just gave us the armor of God very recently, he said something about them. He said you should ensure your feet with the gospel of the preparation of peace. The feet is significant. When you read about the story, the, the, the Psalms, the, the, the Psalmist will say, his strength, he makes my feet like the hind's feet. Hallelujah. Like the hind's feet. He makes, he strengthens my feet. 
Because the feet are very significant to the work of the gospel. Hallelujah. So when Jesus went down and he washed their feet, what he's saying is that I am touching the most significant part of you in serving you, in leading you, but I'm touching the most significant part of you that will release you to the works of service. Hallelujah. You know when Peter said, you should not wash my feet, and Jesus said what? If I do not wash you, you have what? No part with me. You have no part with me because it is significant. And leadership, and, and what that teaches us is that you cannot lead he who is not willing to submit. Whilst leadership must be servanthood, willing to lead, the one that is to be led must also be willing to submit. That's why Jesus told Peter that if you do not submit your feet, if you do not submit your feet, Peter said, wash all my body. He said, I don't need it. I just need your feet. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. What that means is for us to understand that every one of us has a responsibility. In every way we are leading, we are called to be a people who are washing the feet of others. But in every way we are delayed, we must be people who are submitting our feet to be washed. Like the 11 disciples, who did not question Jesus one bit. May God continue to grant us understanding in Jesus' name. It is all about servanthood. He said, I have given you an example. You go and do the same. To lead diligently requires the ability to relate to this very important principle of humility. In Psalm 119 verse 105, the Bible says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Leadership is always there as a responsible role to be showing you that lamp at your feet with the word of God. The lamp at your feet with the word of God, helping you to trim it right, helping you to understand what God is doing in your life today. This is why the leadership role in helping people to walk diligently and in the things of God, requiring the lamp of their feet to be lit, needs leaders that understand what they ought to be doing. And so parents, leaders, every one of us must come back to the place of humility. Recognizing that God has given us a privilege to lead. And that leadership does not make us should not make us into uh, people who think that we are all in all in any role whatsoever, but rather people who are called to serve others. The more you are willing to serve, the more you are empowered to lead. The more you are willing to be humble, the more you are engraced by God to lead effectively. May God continue to help us to be leaders of, with servanthood in Jesus' name. Number two, leadership must be visionary. Leadership must be visionary. If you are called to lead in any way, shape, or form, you must be a person that is always making sure that you are embracing the vision that God has for you in that role. We know the story of Habakkuk chapter 2, but I want to quickly just say a few things from there again. Habakkuk 2 verse 1. The prophet said, I will stand my watch and set myself on a rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. Verse 2 says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tablets that he may run who reads it. Verse 3. Let's read verse 3 together. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. 
Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Somebody say, it will surely come. Say it again, it will surely come. I want every man in the house to know this secret. Whatever God has shown you about your family, whatever you see on a day-to-day basis that is not looking like it, keep reminding yourself, it will surely come. It will not tarry. It will surely come. It will not tarry. Hallelujah. Because God cannot lie. The Bible says in Numbers 3, 23, verse 19, it says it is impossible. He says God is not a man that he should lie. If he has shown you that something will come to pass, then you must hold on to the vision of God for your life. Hold on to the vision of God for your wife. Hold on to the vision of God for your children. Many of our children were dedicated in church settings like this, like we do in our church here. And we prayed over them and prophecies came forth. And God spoke many things to us. But alas, age 10, age 12, 15, 20, some of them, you start to see things differently. No, no, no. Don't come back to the vision. Hallelujah. You come back to the vision. You refuse to budge. Listen. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. He got into a boat with disciples of his. They got halfway, the storms began to blow, and many things began to happen. The man with the vision went to sleep. The man who understands the vision of the other side as a reality, established, went to sleep. Those who were, not, who were lacking the vision were shouting that we're going to perish, we're going to perish. And if you are a leader, you must understand this, that people around you will not always see what you see. Hallelujah. People will not always see what you see. I know you love your wife very much, and I know you love your children, but they may not always see your vision. They may not always see what you see. So that is the time to keep inspiring. That is the time to keep saying, you know what, son, you know what, honey, you know what, darling, this is what God has said, and this is what is surely going to come to pass. Hallelujah. Never let the storms of today deny you of the true victory that awaits you tomorrow. Never, ever allow it. The devil's device is to keep disturbing you, so you must remain visionary. You must be a person who stands upon the watch, verse 1. A person who continues to stand upon his watch and continues to stand upon his watch and continues to... Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1 now. He said, I will stand upon my watch, thank you, and set myself upon the rampart. I'll stand upon my watch and set myself upon the rampart. You must continue to stand upon your watch. And keep watching to see what he will say. By the grace of God, everything that God spoke to me when we were praying for this church to start and everything he's saying to me, I always note them, document them. But particularly the things he said at the beginning. Because there are certain things that God says at the beginning that he doesn't repeat again. All he does is he continues to refresh it. He just refreshes it. Because he has said it once. Hallelujah. He has said it once. So I, I revisit some of those things, and that's where I draw my strength. Every time I see something not looking like it, I go back and stand upon my watch. This is what a leader must know how to do. You stand upon your watch. Set yourself upon a rampart and keep watching to see what he will say. Because God will continue to speak to you in the line of the visions of your life. In the mighty name of Jesus. Understand the place of time. A leader must know how to be patient and help people to be patient. Most things that are good in this life takes time to come. They take time to come. We are in a microwave, fast-moving generation that likes everything now and now. If it not happen now, I check out. I pray now, I receive it, I go if it doesn't come. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
But God, in his own wisdom, doesn't make everything happen that way. Some things, some few things, yes. Somebody was giving an illustration of a dog that has a gestation period of about two months and an elephant that has 22 months. Now, can you imagine a dog and an elephant when they are living together in a place? And the dog says, I'm pregnant. The elephant too says, ah, I'm pregnant. And they say, wow. And then two months later, the dog comes with all those little, little puppies. I say, look at all my babies. Where are your own? They say, I'm still pregnant. I say, ah, which kind of pregnancy is this? And then the dog goes away and comes back after another set of four months. He comes back and says, ah, I've had another set. You ask, what happened? Have you had your baby? He say, no, I'm still pregnant. <laughs> He said, but the day that elephant comes, all those tiny, tiny things that that dog has been giving birth to, we run away from it. <laughs> because he gives birth to a big thing. If you are going to have something qualitative, something big, something tangible, something that will endure, you need to be patient with God. The church is so impatient these days. People get into ministry two years, three years, five years. They say, man, I'm checking out, man. This is not working. <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> Have you heard about the fathers of our faith? The, 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 our fathers in the faith? Some of them went 10 years. Some of them went 15 years before anything looked like it. Some of the ministries we celebrated today, the first 10 years, nobody knew anything about them. Nobody. They, it was as if they didn't even exist. But they were patient. They were focused. The Bible says you must keep following those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Even in your private lives. When I see people say, Pastor, I have tried. I have applied for that job. I wrote application 40 times. They did not give me. He said, I said, go and write another one. <laughs> go and write another one. Because the one they we used to give you is just one application. In fact, at times you will not even write. It's the one you didn't write. I've had that many times. The one I did not write, that's the one I get at times. <laughs> Hallelujah. What I'm trying to say here is that we're not ignorant of the devices of the devil. We know that there are times that he tries to stop us from things, but part of the qualities of leadership is you know how to wait on God, how to remain resolute and focused so that you don't give up in the midst of what looks like a discouragement. Number three, leadership must be exemplary. Leadership must be exemplary. You lead by example. You lead by example. When you have good examples, you have few, fewer words. When you have good examples, you have fewer words. Those of us who are into education know that if you have a lecturer, especially if you are in my field of engineering or construction practice, if you have a lecturer that knows the theory but does not have examples, doesn't have practical examples. He speaks more words. <laughs> he used the words to make up the time because there's no, he doesn't have practical example. So he will talk and talk and talk and talk all the theory and talk all the theory. But you see the man with the example, he will just enter the class, talk three lines of theory and start giving you examples. You say, last year I did this project, two years ago I did that project. And you will learn more because he has what? Example, I'm not criticizing lecturers, you start from a level. Me too, I used to teach like that. I will give all theory, theory. But the more I was having examples through my practical experience, the more I found that it is easier. You give the little bit of the theory, and then you give the example. What you have done? I teach our building control. We have a program at the University of Wolverhampton. We have some 
uh, building control surveying apprentices that come to us from all over the nation. And uh, it's a very good program. We thank God it started a, co a couple of years now into it. And um, I teach the first years on, on one of the modules, which I have authored books twice in, in construction, health, and safety. So one of the first things I do to them in the first lecture is to tell them about my books so that they know that they don't just have a lecturer, they also have an author. Amen. <laughs> this is not just a lecturer, it's a practitioner, but also an author. And it changes everything. It changes the respect. It changes the discussion. Even when they want to ask questions, they ask carefully. <laughs> because you have example. Leaders must seek to be exemplary. Father, don't tell your children to be praying. You pray first. Don't tell your children that church is good. Let them see that you are a person that loves going to church. And then you tell them that church is good, then they follow you. Don't tell them that children, you know you have to work hard. None of my children will, will say to me that if I say them, I don't even need to because they are all, by the grace of God, they are all hardworking. But they, there's no time that I say to any, if I say to anyone, you work hard, that they will look at me and say, ah, that, the way you watch television, or you are this. They see, they see hard work. You demonstrate leadership by being practical. That is why we, 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 we join the meetings that we ought to join if in church life. You are not a leader that will say to the people, go and be praying. You too, you go and join the prayer. Because that is what makes you a leader. Every leader must be exemplary. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, imitate me just also as I imitate Christ. Imitate me. Imitate me. Paul said, imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. Some translations say, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. So emphatic. We are lacking exemplary leadership. In our, There was a time I ran a whole course on this thing for six weeks, many years ago in a church. Exemplary leadership. Our world is lacking exemplary leadership today, and that is why we are finding that there is a struggle. There are no enough examples in leaders, and there are too many people not willing to follow good example. It's both ways. But leaders must seek to be exemplary. Paul said, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. He didn't say he may not. He said he will not. Somebody say he will not. Say he will not. Come on, be confident. Say he will not. He will not. And they will not in the name of Jesus. Train up a child the way he should go. Be the example. Let them see the example. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. There are many things I learned from my father, and I want you all to know something. As human beings, no human being is perfect. Jesus is our only perfect example. And I want everyone to understand this. We have a responsibility to follow, but we also have a responsibility to follow under God. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So I tell my children, as long as what you can see is what the Bible commands, obey it. But God forbid, if you see me do something that is not godly, that is not commanded by God, don't follow it. Don't follow it. God forbid. God forbid. I wouldn't imagine myself doing anything like that. But they must understand it's their responsibility. Same thing with pastors. Some people follow pastors blindly. 
because they call him pastor. They just follow blindly. You must know the word of God for yourself and help yourself to let the spirit of God lead you first. That's why I said it starts with the leading of the Holy Spirit upon you first. When the Holy Spirit leads you first, any man that you are to follow in family, in life, the Holy Spirit will be telling you how to follow them very well. And if for any reason there are aspects that are missing it, then you know what to do. He said, train up a child the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Every one of us must work to be exemplary. I have found that exemplary leadership has worked for me. Through my biological father, my biological parents, I learned a lot of things from my father. I learned hard work from him. First and foremost, the fear of God, a passionate man of God who loves God. I learned that from him. And I learned from him the desire to pursue your dreams and to be a person who is very tenacious. I learned from him about principle. All his working life and his youthful life, he's 86 years old now, all his youthful life, he never went to a meeting late. Never. They knew him in the community. When they invited him, all the people who invited him are always on their toes. Because they know if they say he's giving his speech by four, he will reach there, he will open his speech by four. Whether it's one table, one person that is there on the table, he will start reading it. <laughs> he will start reading it and then he's gone. He doesn't waste time at all. And I used to imagine he was living in the midst of people who did not regard time. I used to ask him, how did you manage all those years? And then he would tell me that it was just a case of him deciding to do what he knows was right to do. Never drank. Never saw my father with any, any, any kind of alcoholic drink. He never drank. He showed me, by example, many things that I should follow. He showed me how to treat his wife. He showed me that even when the wife was not too happy with him, he kept on loving I do the same today. You must learn by example. There are many things I put on my social media page today that I know that some people will look at and laugh. I know that some people will look at them and twitch their nose and say, who does this guy think he is? Like some of these are my clips and many other things. But they're deliberate. They're deliberate. They're deliberate because I know that there are young people out there that God will be calling into ministry. There are young people out there that God will be calling into aspects of the work life that God has called me into. Who will be the next phase of our move to evangelize the world? And they need to see examples. They need to see people who are doing it as God commanded. They need to see examples. Some of, some of them will say, I have a feeling I'm called into ministry. I know, I, I feel this way. I'm only 10 years old. And their dad will say, no, you can't be a pastor because pastors are lazy people who don't achieve anything. There are people who are dropouts and so on. There are people who say those kind of things. So I deliberately also, deliberately, by the grace and mercies of God, publish whatever ac academic and professional accomplishments I have. I deliberately publish them for the sake of those kind of children. I'm not looking for anything. But I want those kind of children to see evidence that it is possible to serve God and become anything you want to become in this life. Because we need more of such children. It takes boldness. I'm not a madman. I know that there are many people who see those things negatively. But I don't care. Because it is about a generation that we must leave example for. One man influenced my life so much. I was only seven years old. He was a preacher and he was an orthopedic nurse. And I said, I like this. 
For this man to be a reverend and be an orthopedic nurse means that it is possible to preach and be anything God wants you to be in this kingdom and yet be a success in the professional world. I'm not saying everybody has to be like that. But there are many people God is calling into that order of service. They need examples, more examples. You medical doctor preachers, stop hiding things. Stop, stop because people are intimidating you. Put it out there. Let young people see that you are a doctor and you are a pastor at the same time. What are you hiding? Let them see it. Let them see it because they will follow your example and do more. Hallelujah. We don't do those things because we want the accolades of men. We do them because we want people to imitate us as we imitate Christ. There are many youngsters here that you see them playing all over the place today. Everything I'm saying now, they're hearing it. You may not know. You may even think they're sleeping. They're hearing it. It's forming in them. It's forming in them. It's forming in them. Ten years time, you start to see. That seed start to grow. Because example has a way of placing a seed without even words being spoken directly to the person. People just see examples and they follow. Let us learn to be exemplary. I want everyone in this church to understand that we have a role in whatever capacity God has called us to be exemplary leaders. Work on yourself to be exemplary. Number four, leadership must not be blind. Leadership must not be blind. Matthew 15 verse 13 to verse 14. Matthew 15 verse 13 to 14. And some people are afraid because they are in employment. If I go back to the last point very quickly, if you are afraid because you are in employment, I know that it can be very dangerous and risky for certain kind of work that you do. But you know something? If God called you, he will protect you. I say if God called you, he will protect you. So don't hide anything that you need to show as an example to the world out there. There are people who are waiting to see your example. Please put it out and let them see it, and God will continue to be glorified within the body of Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm the one talking about myself now. You're afraid. Are you afraid for me, or you're afraid for yourself? Hallelujah. I'm talking about the examples I give. At least you as a church body and those connected to us online must understand why we need to give examples. Just because we have a generation that is coming and in years to come, we'll be hearing their testimonies from these examples in Jesus' name. So number four, leadership must not be blind. Leadership must understand. Jesus said, but he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Verse 14. Verse 14. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will do what? fall into a ditch. A leader must not be blind. I talk about visionary. That is one aspect. That is seeing long term. Seeing where we are going. Seeing what is happening. Seeing what God has said. That is vision. But you see, blindness refers to not being able to decipher the moment. Not being able to know what God is doing right now. And so every leader must seek to equip themselves to be contemporary. Parents, you need to educate yourself. The world has moved away from dictionary and encyclopedia and have moved to Google 20 years ago. They bring a word now. You are still looking, where is that my encyclopedia? Oh, where is that my, where is my dictionary? They have moved 20 years ago. They left that place. The world has moved. These your young children don't know what difference is between Collins Dictionary and Oxford Dictionary. They only know Google. 
So you must live there with them. You must understand it with them. Parents must educate themselves about the things that are contemporary so that they are not blind. Leaders must do the same. I study a lot of theological stuff online. Even though I always say that I didn't go to a, a long-term seminary. I attended Bible school a couple of times, but I wouldn't call it long-term seminary. But I am always studying theological stuff every time. Because there is a thing I must know so that I don't mislead those God has put in my care to lead. Every one of us must understand. Husbands need to learn. We, we get into marriage without a lot of counseling these days. I was trying to tell somebody that, you know, you need counseling about marriage. He said, oh, he said, I've read a lot of books. I said, it's not about books, man. You can read books, but you need to hear from people who have gone ahead of you so that they can tell you certain things that are not usually written in books. You know, there are some things that are impossible to write in books, no matter how hard authors try. They can't write it in books, but people who have experienced them have a way of saying it. <laughs> so you need to be counseled. We have a generation of people who don't want to be counseled for anything because everybody just feels they know everything. If the blind lead the blind. Those of you that have young children, take time to be asking. Younger children, take time to be asking from time to time when you have an opportunity. Ask a question about the children and their faces that they are coming into. I'm sure my, my daughter will not mind me sharing this. When some years back, her room was all over the place, some I don't know, five years ago, when I entered there, it was, I was like, how do you enter this room? Everything was everywhere. And um, one day, you won't believe this, I was, I was on Radio 4, and this, I, it finished a program, so it went into the program called Women's Hour. Somehow, I didn't change the station, I left it on. And I was traveling, so I just let the people continue to speak. And then this lady says, I think I have a problem. And the, the, the moderator said, what's the problem? He said, I have my daughter, she's 13 years old. And, you know, when I come into her room, it's like a bomb site. I said, ah. I spoke to the radio. I said, I can relate with you. <laughs> it's like a bomb site, isn't it? But, you know, that very day, I learned that I didn't have a problem. Initially, I thought, what, is there a problem? Is there something I'm not saying? It's a phase. Is a phase. And then they go through it with your help and support. They go through it. And after that, it's like it never happened. You must understand this, that every one of us must learn to see that we must continue to equip ourselves so that we are not blind. If the blind lead the blind, they, they go into a ditch. A leader must be a reader, committed to lifelong learning. You must be committed to learning. Every day, ask yourself, when you hit the bed at night, what did I learn today? What have I learned today? Be committed to lifelong learning. A leader must be a good observer and a good listener. You must be a good observer and you must be able to hear things. Anytime my wife and I travel to any country, anywhere, anytime we're anywhere, we're always learning. We say, I'll say to her, did you see how they do, did that? Did you see how they presented that? Did you see how they, they produced that thing? Did you see that food? Did you see how they serve it? Anything. We're always learning and observing. Learning and observing. Because you can grow by it. Very importantly. Finally, leadership must be courageous. Leadership must be courageous. So what's the first thing? Leadership is about servanthood. Number two, leadership must be visionary. Number three, leadership must be exemplary. Number four, leadership must be... Must be what? Leadership all the time must not be blind. Must be enlightened consistently. And then leadership must be courageous. Courage is needed for leadership. 
God told Joshua in Joshua 1, verse 5, he said, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. He said, I will not leave you nor forsake you. Very important, God assured him. God has assured us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. The same way he assured Joshua, tell your neighbor for me, God will never leave you nor forsake you. In your leadership role, whatever it is, always remember, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Because you will hit rough spots. Every leader, father, mother, pastor, teacher, Every leader, CEO, director, every leader hits a rough patch from time to time. You must understand that it takes courage. Verse 6. Let's shout verse 6 together. This is what God said to Joshua and he's saying to us. Let's go together. Be strong and of good courage. For to these people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. I have a duty for you, you must perform it. These children I gave you, you must raise them in righteousness. You and them, you are for signs and for wonders. Only be strong and courageous. This church work I gave you, this unit of the church, this church work I gave you, whatever it is, this duty I gave you at work to manage this department or manage this group, you must do it diligently and be strong and courageous. A lot of leaders in our time are very, very fearful. And when you have fearful leadership, it can be very devastating. God chose, uh, Moses chose people he thought should be leaders from the 12 tribes of Israel. He said, that's the land God is giving us over there. Go and spy it out. When they got there, they saw giants. <laughs> Ten of them came back and said, it is impossible. In fact, we are like grasshoppers. Two courageous people, Joshua and his brother Caleb. He's, he's not biological brother, but his, his spiritual brother Caleb of the same mind with him. The Bible says they came back and said we are able. Every leader must understand that your ability is not in what you think. It's not in what you have. It's not in your bank account. It's not in anything. It's not in your academic qualifications. Your ability is in God's ability. The Bible says, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So when you say, I am able, you are saying you are able because he is able. You cannot be a failure father, failure husband, failure mother, failure wife, because God is on your side. You cannot fail. If we allow our marriages to disintegrate, it's because we remove the God element from it. When we humbly submit to him, he tells us this is what you should do differently. This is what you should do differently. When couples come to me, first person comes and talks about, we didn't get time to read uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, which we read in the Bible reading. We read 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1 to verse 15. Please read it on your own, but we are going to deal with it in the course of the week, probably on Wednesday, and then I will just say some things from there. I might still read the verse before I close, but I just want to say to couples, please always remember something. Every time there is an issue with your marriage, something has to change. And usually, both parties will need to change something. The moment you think it has to be about one person, 
you start to give the devil the foothold to make it difficult to have that change. Part of what leadership is, is that willingness to be able to be courageous enough to say, I will change. I will make myself vulnerable for this change so that things can work. And may God continue to grant us understanding in the mighty name of Jesus. Let us take these words and believe them. I would like to remind us of what Paul said, just a couple of verses from that Second Thessalonians, which I would crave you to keep doing for me and for every leader that you know, including yourself. Finally, verse 1, my brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. Keep praying for leadership that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. Keep praying for leadership. Keep praying for them. Verse 7 says, For you yourself know how you ought to follow us, for we are not disorderly among you. Please, brethren, leaders require good examples. There are things you must do just because others are watching you. We started by saying, Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You have to, every one of us is a leader in one way or the other. You must continue to make sure that you are not walking disorderly. Don't bring the name of the Lord to disrepute in any way. He said, nor did we eat anyone's bread. We have leaders today who are leading into people's pockets. Verse 8, leading into people's pockets, always manipulating people, always trying to just get things out of people. These are the things that are weakening the structures of leadership. Leadership must not be seeking to eat people's bread free of charge. What that means is if they give it to you, that's fine. But to be manipulating to get it is just completely unnecessarily, uh, unnecessary and wrong. He said, but we walked with labor and toiled night and day. You as a leader must keep working hard and toiling night and day to make sure that your leadership is effective. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But I want us to quickly close on verse 13. He said, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Verse 14 says, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Verse 15, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. These are not my words. These are the verses of scripture that I believe God is inspiring us to meditate on at this time. Please go back to verse 14. Go back to verse 14. And if anyone does not obey the word in this epistle, if anyone is unruly, anyone does not want to submit to leadership, anyone that is always trying to be divisive, he said, note that person and don't keep company with them. Whether they are in this church or they are in another church, or they are elsewhere. Don't keep company with them. People who like to talk about bosses in the office, always putting them down, putting them down. Don't keep company with them. Don't keep company with such people. It is a responsibility that we have in making, it, making the work work for leaders, making and helping leaders to be who God wants them to be. Go back to verse 1. Just keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. Keep praying for them. Thank you. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them so that every time you can continue to see the will of God manifest. I pray that God will grant us this understanding in Jesus' name. We are living in times when there is a lot of unruly people all over the place. No more disregard for constituted authority, either in the workplace or sadly even in the church. People think they can do anything and just be anyhow. Please don't join that company. Let us continue to recognize the fact that no leader calls themselves. 
Moses was called by God, not by himself. They looked at him at a time. They said, who, who made you a king, a judge, and a ruler over us? And the same people, God sent him back to go and rescue <laughs> when they were there after 40 years. He sent him back there to go and rescue them. So leadership is a, is a responsibility. It's a gift. It's not something that a person takes the honor on themselves. Please, respect leadership wherever that leadership is. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Wives, please submit to your own husbands in the Lord. Husbands, obviously, love your wives and submit to them as well in the way that God has asked you to submit to them to help you. Do these things. And in the church folk, everyone leader must understand that we have to be exemplary before the people God has called us to lead so that God can continue to help us to do the work he has called us to do in the name of Jesus. With these few words, we close our uh, session on the uh, ministry gifts. And I want to encourage every one of us to continue to pray over these things so that God can continue to do a new thing in our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Let us bow our heads and pray. Well, well.